Welcome to Musicians Weekend, the brand new podcast in which we explore the weird and wonderful lives of those who keep music making alive. I'm Davina and I play the cello. I'm Olivia and I play the harp. And I'm Imogen and I play the trumpet. First of all, what is a Musicians Weekend? We've defined it as days off during the week that don't coincide with the traditional weekend. For example, having a Tuesday off while working on Saturday and Sunday, as well as evenings spent working during the conventional working week. This podcast talks to those people for whom TGIF is a mere fast, Monday mornings are for sleeping in, and the weekend is when musicians are trying to get to their gigs despite train engineering work. We've been told so many times it's hard to make a living out of music, yet we know countless amazing, ambitious and inspiring working musicians which suggests that people are obviously finding a way. Every two weeks, we'll be chatting amongst the three of us and featuring a different guest each episode to explore the various ways our friends and colleagues are making their way through the industry to keep music making alive. So here we are in Olivia's lovely flat in London Bridge and we're very excited to finally be recording our first episode. Mm. Um, This podcast kind of came about by coincidence because Olivia and I had talked about starting a podcast together um, and then by chance I think Olivia and Davina did a gig together did two gigs together oh. the same week serendipitous I would describe it and Davina you mentioned that you wanted to start a podcast as well yes that's right yes and, and then... so then we decided since we all know each other um, we thought we'd join forces so that is how Musicians Weekend was born um, so Olivia how have your last couple of weeks been good thanks uh, I've did one uh, pretty swish gig this week that I thought <laughs> I could report on. Do tell. Um, I went to Milan for a night with the London Electronic Orchestra and it's a collaboration between DJ and uh, classical musicians and it was for the start of Milan Design Week and it was for Audi and it was at a venue off, uh, I guess, the equivalent of Milan's Bond Street and it was kind of hidden. You walked through the entrance and then it, you got into this massive courtyard and it turned out it was owned by the Vatican. And oh, right. it, was, <laughs> it, it is not used for the rest of the year, just for, I guess, if you can spend enough money to hire it out. And they'd created a kind of floating stage effect on a lake in the courtyard. Oh, and then they goodness. had three mega driverless cars around us and yeah and we had to walk they kept the audience around the courtyard and then we had to walk on there's only four of us on this massive stage and we had to walk on in front of everyone everyone was quiet and then get into positions quickly get our ear pieces in and then start playing um for an hour and then it started off like a constant then kind of turned into background music Harp, violin, cello, and DJ. Right. Um, but it was just amazing and completely bonkers seeing how much money there is in the world. That was that Milan experience. Mm-hmm. And um, I also saw some really good shows. I went and saw Amadeus at the National Theatre. I'm seeing that on Tuesday. Very excited. It was really good. The musicians were fantastic and they're so involved in the whole show. Right. And then I also saw Hamilton. Mm. Yeah. So I was very lucky to get tickets to that. High demand. Yeah. Um, And it was, yeah, as great as everybody says, even though I had no idea what to expect at all. And I only found out it was a hip hop musical (laughs) two months ago. 
but I really recommend it. I didn't even know that. <laughs> and I want to see it too. And then I also went to a BBC Symphony Orchestra concert last Friday and it was the co-principal harpist, Sean Ed Williams' last concert and she's been playing with the orchestra for 30 years. So lots of harpists came out to support her and I particularly enjoyed a premiere by Raymond Yu called The World Was Once All Miracle and that was with um, baritone soloist Roderick Williams and Aww. I really enjoyed the piece. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Nice. What have you been up to? Well, I've had a nice week this week. I got back last night from Bristol um, and I was performing at Colston Hall uh, with the Army of Generals and Charles Hazelwood, who conducts yeah. that orchestra. And yeah, it was a concert, but not as you'd expect it. Basically, we were um, as a full-size orchestra, but we were in the foyer of Colston Hall, and we were split across six levels. And the point of it was that during our performance, the audience could walk around, you know, behind us, in front of us, in between us, and just get this amazing kind of sound experience. Mm -hmm. And we were playing a piece by Steve Reich called The Four Sections. And basically the only way we could make this work is we all so spread out was to have in-ear monitors to yeah. have a click track. Oh, okay. And um, so that was going for the whole piece and they kind of thankfully gave like bar numbers and figures and stuff Good, so we could yeah. keep up. Very helpful. I would like to have that more often um, as a brass player. Lots yeah. of counting. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so that was, it was really interesting. And yeah, everyone was really, the audience were encouraged to move around basically for the whole of this kind of 25 minute piece just to keep walking because every couple of steps the, the mix that you're hearing would change. Um, have you seen anything recently? Yeah, last, well it's actually last week now, now we're here. Uh, last week I went to see uh, the Philharmonia and they were playing Marla One at the Festival Hall and I'd, I'd basically been practicing at home, I'd been on my own all day. Um, and I just thought, you know what, I just really want to go to a concert. So I saw that this was on and I just bit myself a ticket. And yeah, I think this could be one of the only concerts, I can't remember, I can't really remember a time I've been to a concert on my own. And it was yeah. really refreshing and I, I felt really concentrated in it. And I, I saw a few friends there because, you know, in London, it's a nice small yeah. world in the music scene. So I saw some friends, which is great. Um, but I just came away feeling really inspired and really glad that I'd gone. And I, yeah, I kind of want to make a little pact with myself to try and do that more often because just to really enjoy music that I love and it's a great orchestra. So, yeah, that was yeah, that's great. Yeah, great. They always have to go with somebody. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to be chatting with them in, in the exactly. in the concert. And there's there's no excuse in London. There's so many amazing orchestras and concerts on every single week. And it's sometimes a bit overwhelming yeah. to leave the house and go to the concerts. But it when you do... Costs, it cost me less than £10, definitely. Yeah, so. that's incredible. You've inspired me. Oh. So, Davina, have you been to any concerts recently? Well, um, last week I got back from the Ultimate Musicians Weekend. Um, I had three weeks in Greece and Croatia Ooh. as I was away on my honeymoon. Um, so I haven't really been to so many concerts like you guys have, but um, I thought I'd quite like to share my experience of Greek Orthodox Easter. So... Um, my husband, my husband and I, on the Thursday before um, Easter, we went out for a meal just in a nice little traditional taverna. And when we turned up, there was no one there, not a soul. I mean, it was open, but no one was eating there. And you know what they always say, don't eat at the restaurant where no one's eating, because um, what's wrong with it? But it had some amazing Google reviews, so we thought, well, we have to eat, let's just try. And it turned out we had a really, really lovely meal, um, and we had a really attentive uh, waitress who gave us 
free liqueur, free dessert, and we kind of made friends with her by the end of the night. And she said, are you still around on, on Sunday? And we said, yeah, that's our last night. Um, and she said, well, if you're free, it's our Easter, so please come, um, come back to our restaurant and we will have some music. So we thought, yeah, why not? We'll, we'll check this out. So we returned on Sunday night and it was completely different from Thursday. So if Thursday was empty, Sunday was absolutely packed to the rafters. <laughs> um, it was so full. In Greece, I'm not sure if it's completely legal, but people still smoke indoors. So it was really, really, like, really smoky and um, really loud. Um, and I got to witness a traditional Greek band playing, which was, nice. which was awesome. So they, they had a singer, um, a violinist, and um, my husband rather snobbly said of the violinist, this made me laugh, well, his bow hold wouldn't get him through college, but it did the trick. I think, I think he was very fluid. Um, and uh, there was a guitarist and also some percussion as well. And I just, I loved the energy that these guys performed with. It was, they knew everything off my heart. Uh, I'm terrible at playing things by memory. I don't know about you guys. Oh, awful. They're, like, they're better than, never mind his bow hold. He's, better, he's <laughs> yeah. a better, better musician than I am. <laughs> exactly. Like, I always have to have a piece of music in front of me. And, and I, I'm getting to that point now where um, in my career as a freelance musician, I'm kind of a professional sight reader, I suppose. Mm. Um, uh, so they did everything off by heart. Everything was really, you know, they improvised loads. And it was just really cool to hear the different modes that, they perform in, so not your traditional Western um, tonality, um, really amazing effects. And how was it coming back from a month off? Coming back was um, quite difficult because, I, I mean, I, I really had the time of my life um, on honeymoon, but obviously I'm back, I'm doing this podcast and it's really, really exciting. Um, getting back to practicing and playing, however, um, as a string player, I feel like I've lost the calluses on my left hand. So um, the first thing I did uh, when I got back was actually record our jingle. So the jingle that you would have heard at the beginning of this episode. Um, that was the first thing I did. And after that, I mean, how long is that? 10 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> did you have a blister after that? I was like, ow, oh, it's so painful. We <laughs> didn't get it first time. We had to do it several times. Um, so getting back into practice and I'm trying to be disciplined by doing some scales and, you know, yeah. doing, doing my, my fruit and veg kind of practice. <laughs> um, a little um, top tip for... Um, uh, your blisters. Yeah. Witch hazel is really? quite good if you want to avoid getting them. It's quite good for toughening it. That's good for for pl for my plucking hand actually. Okay. Yeah. I'll lend you some. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. I had a, a top tip for um, if, uh, as a brass player. I don't know what it'd be like for you guys, but if you've been away for a long time, getting back into playing is to play um, with headphones on at the start because you're so conscious of how bad your sound has got or how you know oh my gosh. sound is that you're just you're just trying to get the physical feeling back does it kind so of distance wow. yourself a little bit they basically yeah. just block out the sound completely yeah. so you can't hear anything yeah because you're you so just critical. feel so bad yeah, yeah. So. and you feel like everything is bad at that point yeah so, so yeah. to spend at least you know one day or two days just, just really playing just getting the feeling back getting the muscles working properly again mm. um and then you can then focus on the sound a bit more after I like that. that yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's cool. good um Maybe other than that i am um I'm getting back into teaching as well, so remembering who all my students are and um, <laughs> remembering their faces and their names and what they've been practicing, <laughs> the fact that some of them are preparing for exams, and oh. I've, I feel very distant from that. My brain is still in Crete, let's yeah. just put it that way. Um, and I had um, one student, um, uh, well, I have quite a funny student 
anecdote from last week. She's preparing for grade five and we were talking about uh, the oral tests and in grade five oral you have to you have to identify what period um, a, a music it's excerpt. It's quite hard, that one test. Exactly, yeah. 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 So there's Baroque, there's Classical, there's Romantic and there's 20th Contemporary. Century. There's yeah, 20th, 20th Century. century. Um, and so we were talking about classical music in particular and I mentioned that one of the um, main traits is that it's got a very distinct um, melody and accompaniment. And she said, oh yes, yeah, miss, yeah, we just did this in class. Yeah, classical music is homophobic. <laughs> And I, I just paused for a sec and I said, I think you mean homophonic. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, 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 that's what I meant. So, Aww. yeah. Let's hope she doesn't say that in her exam. Good thing I caught it then. Oh, <laughs> so, one so of my sweet. best student stories, we we're on a tangent here, but um, just trying to get my student to tell me what a natural sign is. I pointed to it and said, what's that? And mm. She said, well, it's not a flat, it's not a sharp, so it's a... Shot? <laughs> Does she know what a shot is? <laughs> yes. I always... Oh, man. I to go and keep a straight face. Oh, that's brilliant. No, it's, it's a natural sign. Natural sign. <laughs> a natural shot. I always oh. get um, kids talking about sharps as hashtags oh, now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are so old. Um, so I haven't been to any concerts, as I mentioned, but since getting back, I've enjoyed watching videos of the two joint winners of the Junior Menuhin competition, oh, violin I saw, competition. I saw one of them. It's incredible. The, the maximum age, as I found out, was 16, and the winners, um, Kristen Lee from Australia and Chloe Chua from Singapore, are 10 and 11, respectively. What? It's amazing. I saw Kristen Lee's videos. His Vivaldi was Stunning, I thought. He he led the orchestra. They both led the orchestra for a season. Oh so he did summer. <laughs> and she did um she did it's winter. Amazing. But he just really encapsulated the music. There was so much shape to everything that he played. Um and he knew he knew the score inside out, you could just tell. The most lovely thing about watching it, as opposed to a lot of prodigy videos that pop up on Facebook. Uh, was that he seemed to just genuinely be having the time of his life. Yes, he looked absolutely. so full of joy yeah. in his playing. And so mature as well. My, my husband was watching over my shoulder and he said, he looks like he's about 40 years old, but just tiny. Like yeah. everything he was doing was yeah. what a professional would do. Now to some recent classical music news. This year's prom season has just been announced. The prom has been in the press a lot recently as it pledged to commission an equal number of male and female composers by the year 2022. This year there are eight commissions for female composers, including Anna Meredith for the first night commission and Roxana Panathinik for the last night. Um, is there anything that stuck out in the programme for either of you? you're looking forward to seeing at proms? I haven't had the most thorough look through yet, but yeah. I did notice that Jacob Collier is doing his own prom this year, and I'm very excited. Wow, he's got, cool. a whole, he's got a yeah. whole... Yeah. And is, and it, with, is with, it a late night one? Um, no, it's 7.30, yeah. With, Whoa. Yeah, it's big, isn't it? With take six, um, I don't know who else was there, but like, Jacob Collier and friends, basically. So that's gonna be, amazing. Yeah, that's Metro, gonna be a, was the Metropole Orchestra. That's going to be a very, very long queue. Yeah, that's fantastic. during the day, isn't it? Yeah, it's really exciting. <laughs> oh my exciting. gosh, it's really good. Yeah, I, I'm looking. I, I'd quite like to check out the Anna Meredith one because I love her compositions. Yeah. Um, I, I came across her music completely by accident. It was on BBC Radio Six 
and her piece Nautilus. It's oh yeah, it's the most hypnotic piece it's out amazing. there. It's amazing. And I was driving. I was at the Saint Delian Festival actually when um, really? when I discovered it, and I was driving down a really really narrow laneway, and then I just hear this. It's it's like it's rotating the rotating of the it called again? nautilus yeah we'll put a link um yeah. Yeah, i think you might recognize it actually because it was on a, a lady gaga documentary i watched oh, recently right. and i sorry sorry to the lady gaga fans out there that piece was stand out the best bit <laughs> of music in the documentary i'm not surprised <laughs> and i just listened to it on loop um, for days afterwards i thought it was interesting that the baltimore symphony orchestra are coming to the proms for the first time I didn't realise it was their prom's debut. Um, Marin Olsop conducting. She's the music director. And I thought uh, that would be a really good one to go to. I read a New York Times article this week. It came out by Miles Hoffman. I don't know if you saw it. Called Classical Music. It was about the classical music insecurity complex. No. And I thought it was really good. It was about taking your friends to classical concerts and them saying your non-musician friends and them saying they didn't know enough to comment oh they only could say how it made them feel that's how it started he said his friend could only say how made film and he said yeah well that's that's the point point. yeah and um it also drew this comparison i'd never even thought about why we can come out of the cinema and feel like we can comment on a bit of film when we're not in film, mm. we still um, feel capable of passing judgment. But when we come out of a concert, I know that I'm quite careful about what I say after a concert. So yeah. like, I'll often like keep quite quiet afterwards. Like I don't mm. really voice, yeah. unless I really loved it. And I'm like, oh, that was great. But if I'm kind of undecided, I don't feel... I, I think I'm definitely probably suffer from it too. So it's, mm. it's sad that yeah. non-musicians could also suffer yeah. from it. But I think that's okay, isn't it? Because it's so subjective. And I think that it also goes the other way that you get those people who say anything about a piece just to have words come out of their mouth. Like, just to I sound think smart. I definitely went to music college and uni with a lot of these people who are like, oh, this recording's just fabulous. <laughs> and you just say, why? And they can't really say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's a good one, actually. If someone part, yeah, make sure you ask them why, right, actually. Yeah. But then it's okay to say, I really didn't like that concert. Yes. And then also to be able to say, if someone asked you why, to be able to say, I don't really know, but it just didn't really move me. Or it didn't, yeah. there's something that it didn't, yeah. I just didn't like. But now I, I find myself resorting to saying, I really enjoyed something. Because mm-hmm. I, I now use what... Um, the writer Miles Hoffman says his friend says that he can only say if he enjoyed it or not but that's all I can really comment on even though I am a musician I don't sit and listen to music and think about all the harmonies or whatever I just think am I enjoying this yes I'm or no and that's all that really matters isn't it so I thought it was quite a fun article I'll share it that's cool I look forward to reading that actually and the third piece of news that I've been um, interested about reading uh, was about the singer uh, Julie Fuchs um, and it's to do with her contract at the Starts Opera Hamburg um, for her contract as Pamina in The Magic Flute and she posted on Facebook a couple of days ago that her contract has been terminated because they found out she was four months pregnant <laughs> and Hamburg Opera have issued a statement um, saying that it's the flight scenes in the opera itself oh. that makes it dangerous 
um, for pregnant women um, and that they couldn't change the staging to keep the director's vision. Interestingly, the director, Yetta Steckel, is a woman, but that shouldn't be so surprising as women can also be just as bad as men at gender discrimination. Wow. Sure. We um, are living in a patriarchy. And um, the thing I felt most strongly about reading it um, is that it obviously wasn't her choice and she is unhappy and it was to do with the visuals of the production. That's the thing that seemed clear um, more than the um, safety. Mm. But I, I'm sure it's... I, I don't work in an opera house. They but... always have to give some reason reasoning, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you... They don't want to be liable. What's the equivalent for... For a man or I guess you know if you if you break your leg say then yeah you you probably couldn't do it anymore because you couldn't yeah. do some of these things that required of you but something about being pregnant it just seems like it's not a, a and ne negative thing exactly. it's <laughs> yeah. just I mean it really should be a woman's choice as to whether or not she's feeling up to performing yeah um, she obviously so, is yeah if she feels like she's up to and it. surely some kind of contract could be signed whereby she said I I'm not going to sue if if I come to any harm or anything like yeah. that, um, like so kind of disclaimer, exactly. Sort of yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I found that um, just interesting reading about. It feels like she can't be the first one to experience that, though. You know, there must be loads of examples of it, but we just don't. Yeah, know about yeah, it. absolutely. Like um, uh, people at job interviews asking, um, asking, you know, women who don't have children at all, asking, "Are oh, you? Do you have any plans to have a family?" And it's kind of like, "Well, it's not really any of your business," and that shouldn't um, that shouldn't colour whether or not I get this job. It should yeah. be up to my mm. ability. Um, so, for example, um, Jacinda Ardern, the current Prime Minister of New Zealand, which is where I'm from, uh, if you haven't gathered from my accent, <laughs> um, she's seven months pregnant. Um, she's just finished a leaders' tour of Europe, culminating in um, London. Uh, for the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting. And she's having to be on stage, hold political debates, be on show, um, not to mention run the entire country whilst being <laughs> pregnant. Amazing. And um, I, I just think it's incredible because she's really paving the way for women to have a family and a career at the same time. Of course, she's experienced a lot of backlash because um, there was an article written about her, I think someone in the Daily Mail, of course, oh, God. said... Um, <laughs> said, oh, she's betraying her voters. She's going to be distracted by a small oh. child and neglect her voters. And it's like, come on. I mean, if she thinks she's up to this, I think she's got this. So, uh, all right. Um, talking of opera, that could lead us quite nicely mm, yeah. into our first guest on this podcast. Uh, I went and met my good friend, Naomi Lewis, who works at the Royal Opera House. Um, she isn't a freelancer. She has quite a normal job. Uh, compared to us, but she still definitely has a very odd musician's weekend because we met on a Saturday in her office. <laughs> Here's my little chat with Amy. First of all, could you tell us your job title? Please? My job title is chorus manager at the Royal Opera House. And what does that involve? Um, the job is a bit of a tricky one to explain. Uh, the job primarily is to look after the, the chorus. We have 48 full-time choristers who appear in all the productions across the season. So we have about 22 productions a season. Um, not all of them have a chorus in, but majority of them do, probably on average 20 operas a year do. So all of those 48 will be in all those 20 titles, and so I look after them. 
Um, sometimes we need more than 48 choristers. So if, for example, doing Lohengrin um, at the end of April, May, and that requires 90 choristers. Oh my God. So we um, contract extra choristers who are freelancers just for that production. Yeah. So we have those guys. And then uh, I also uh, help to cast with the creative teams, the actors and the dancers for each production. Were you when you became chorus manager here? 27. 27. That's very young, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. Because just before age I started... Age is just rec- a number. I know, age I know. <laughs> I know. Well, um, just before we started recording, you said that there were a thousand permanent staff members and only 40 senior managers. Well, Roughly. I don't know how I'm on that. Roughly. But there must be more than that, because I think on the exec team here, there must be 20 or 30. I don't know, maybe there must be more. Maybe double that. I don't know. Anyway, what yes. I'm trying to say is, <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thanks. Do you sometimes think it's an advantage or can it feel like a disadvantage being a young person surrounded by, I'm guessing the average age of the chorus member is a little bit older? Or do you not think age has affects anything in your job? Um, I think it probably affects people's perception at first. Yeah, at first. Um, I think when I was appointed, it probably people might have thought that she's very young to be doing that job. Um, but then I guess when you're into the job, I think probably, hopefully people overlook the age. Yeah. Um, because it's just a case of doing the job. I don't know whether you're doing the job well or and your approach to it and if you want to improve things. And I think age doesn't come into it. What, what kind of personality do you think is suited to a job in, it's a quite a big question, job in the arts or maybe from your side, like arts management? Um... I think you've got to be flex- someone who's flexible, yeah. someone who's willing to learn, uh, really enjoys working with people. And it sounds very cliche, but has a, a passion for it, for classical music or in the arts generally, yeah. because you do have to work, tend to have to work a lot of hours and you do have to uh, you know, start at the bottom and, and work your way up. and. It's hard to work in the arts. I mean, what's, how do you get a foot in the door? I had no idea. I remember when we, when we graduated and I just yeah. thought, I want to work in classical music. What does that mean? You mentioned earlier that you, when you were doing your composition masters, you missed being around people. Mm. And that's something that I didn't think about until I'd left music, like left uni, left music college and... Um, I've been working as a freelancer, how much time you can spend by yourself. Mm. And I think that was really, I guess it's a bit different. It's, diff- it's, it's so much more solitary being a composer. Yeah. Um, but I think that was quite perceptive of you to realise that if you did have a portfolio career in terms of playing and writing, that you were going to not be around people all the time. Mm. So I am quite envious of the fact you've got colleagues and that you have, even though your hours can be, are way longer than they're supposed to be, mm. that at least you have somewhere you go out to. Mm. Um, but also I think uh, it's a hobby. You know, if I didn't work in the industry, I'd be paying to come to the opera house or to go to other concert venues. Yeah, which I, people always say to me, oh, that's your hobby. Yes. 
But that's a different thing. That's a, in terms of if you're playing yeah. and people saying that you're just you're, because people don't think that you can earn or have this misconception that you can't earn money from an instrument. It's just a hobby. That's that's Whereas something that we really like, want to talk about on this podcast. Yeah, because well, that, it's just one of the main things that really gets me. Yeah. Whereas for me, coming into an office every day, something physical and and having a salary job. Yeah. It's the perception from everybody else is that. You've got a you've got a full time job. Yes. Because so I guess you're on salary. Yeah. The difference is you're a, you're a freelancer. Yeah. You have a full time job. Um, I'm glad you're grateful for your perception. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I am. do you know what I mean? I was going to ask you. Oh, about this is important. Life in the chorus. Mm. So if somebody's listening to this, mm-hmm. who's a singer, who dreams one day of being in a chorus, can you... Well, you've, get... you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. So, yeah, so my kind of next thing to take on here is that there's, I think there's a perception, um, maybe I'm wrong, but there's a perception at music colleges or at people coming up through schools and universities and um, further education who want to be singers, that a chorus job is a second-rate job. Now, I only say that because we get very, very few people applying for the permanent positions who are younger. Um, Perhaps it's because we scare them away because we require a lot of experience and people are um, shy away from it, from applying because of that. But I think we have to get away from this culture of um, you've got to be older or it's a second-rate job. Well, it's really funny because it's not exactly the same as an instrumentalist. Yes, there are some instrumentalists at music college who want to be soloists. Yeah. Really, I've, so many of my friends would like a permanent position in an orchestra. Yeah. And they don't view it as a second-rate job. I think I think more musicians, more, instrument, more instrumentalists want to mm. be in... An orchestra compared to, from the sounds of it, singers mm. being in the chorus. But is that because when we were growing up and being taught our instrument, uh, we either knew that they, our teachers were um, in orchestras in a yeah. permanent position or would freelance with the orchestras and we knew from a young age that's a very good route to go down and we'd love to be an orchestra musician. Whereas if you were a singer... I guess we need, yeah, we need a singer to talk to. If you, if you, yeah, if you're a singer uh, and you're 24, having done an undergrad, maybe done a master's and think about going on to an opera course, you've got to be at your best of your, you've got to be at the top of the game to be in the Royal Opera Chorus or any you mm. know, chorus of any organized, or any opera, professional opera house. Um, but is it a natural route? Are we nurturing people from a younger age to go down the route? You know, sometimes if we do have young people applying for the job, they don't have the right... Um, experience to date but I think we have a responsibility to go backwards and speak to the um, academic institutions or other training possibilities to start bringing in choral opera chorus repertoire at an earlier stage so we can give people opportunities because it's not necessarily that people are lacking the skill it's just they don't have the right uh, experience to date. I see so um, opera scenes at music college that's a big part of singers training and they take on the solo roles yeah. and they do the short, famous scenes. But I don't know if there's an equivalent, but they could be doing chorus mm-hmm. pieces. Okay, I see. 
Um, I was going to ask you about some operas. This is not a quiz. Do not Thank worry. goodness, because you know you're in a pub quiz and there's a classical music round oh, and you're with people who don't aren't even. musicians and they turn around and go, this is your round and then you always screw it up. Well, do you know, I had well, the worst one recently. No, this one, is not I had the worst one recently. It was in a room full of musicians and they played Tchaikovsky harp cadenza. Okay, one of the three Which biggies. one? Rose Adagio. Um, Hadn't played that one. Played the other two, those. Didn't know it. And I just had my head in my hands. Everyone's looking at me like, what's the answer? What's the answer? Oh, she's awful. Traumatised. I don't Great, think so I can do not it. I'm not doing that. another so you, again. You, you created a relaxed room for me. You're like my paddle. <laughs> no, these are, good. these are nice, gentle questions. Thank you. Best opera for newcomers? I think La Traviata. That's my go-to. Oh, you should come to the opera. Yeah, it's not as it's not as everyone thinks it is. You don't have to get dressed up. Come in what you want to wear, and they come and see Traviata. And they've still got some things they recognise. They've got some things they recognise. There's a really good story. It's really emotional. You've got those moments we've got in the Royal Opera House production. Others are available. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, it's everything. There are um, a huge chorus piece in amazing costumes. Yeah. Very glitz and glam. Um, but then it also is, you know, quite dark at times. It's very emotional. There's a real story. You can follow the narrative. Great. Bish bash bosh. Bish bash bosh traviata. Go see it. What was the first opera you saw? Tosca. Where did you see it? Uh, I saw it in York Theatre, no, the York Grand Opera House. Can you remember who did it? Um, Which company? No. And I remember not enjoying it one bit. <laughs> Lucky you can't remember which company. Yeah, exactly. Okay, your the favourite production that you have worked on here. Here. Yeah. What's uh, been your favourite production? Ooh, can I have two? Yeah. A new production and a revival. Okay. One of my first ever productions here was a revival of Anna Nicole, which was Mark Anthony Turner's oh, opera about Anna yeah, Nicole. Yeah, great. So great. Brand new piece. It was. Hang on, you worked here when they did it for the first time? Second time. Okay. So we revived it. Such a good piece. Again, had that story, had the narrative. Yeah, that's great. Great chorus moments. Pink everywhere. Just kind of like you threw up the fancy dress box and it fell back down on everyone and that was the show. It was great. And my famous favourite new production was something we did... Uh, a year or so ago, which was a piece called The Nose by Shostakovich. Oh, I didn't see it. Directed by Barikovsky. Absolutely amazing. Really? Bonkers. Absolutely crazy. But uh, such a great piece of theatre. Yeah. And have you had, you must have had some pinch me moments, like, oh my God, I can't believe this is my job mm. moments. So I wonder if you could tell me a couple of those. You had to meet some pretty cool people. One of my favourite stories. This is not to uh, be clangy. <laughs> oh, but yeah. we um, we're going to talk about that on on the podcast one day. Clang. The word clang. Okay. How whether it should even exist. What would I, you say instead? I don't know. I think I don't know. But you know, it's it's only because I don't want it to sound like. Oh, yeah, but I'm, I'm asking you. Person. I'm okay, asking okay. you. Okay, so. You can edit that bit out. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we there's a, something called West End Live, which is a weekend in June or July that um, 
this UK London theatres or something like that. This body of theatres run a uh, weekend of all the musicals, basically come and do a couple of numbers on a big open air stage on Trafalgar Square. And it's just such a good weekend. And usually the weather's really nice and it's free and people just rock up and they sing along and there's a Lion King and loads oh, of other great... great. Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> Go. And the best thing about it is the Royal Opera Chorus uh, have performed there for a few years. And I don't know, maybe four years ago, um, we were doing Tosca, I think, my fave. Yeah. And Plasto Domingo was conducting. And we had asked uh, Domingo if he would like to conduct the chorus at... Uh, Trafalgar Square but he's so busy and he's so kind and so lovely but we didn't want to push it on him because it was a show that evening um, so we left it to the day and we didn't confirm with West End Live so basically we rocked up with Plasto Domingo and obviously West End Live couldn't believe it they just thought this is amazing not only do we have the Royal Opera Chorus <laughs> but we, we have had... Plasto Domingo conducting anyway getting him there was tricky because it was just so busy it was such a beautiful day and at the end we'd ordered a cab to go from the back of Trafalgar Square back to the Opera House because he did get mobbed because he's so famous not just in the opera world just yeah. generally so my job was to get him after we got the chorus thing. yeah literally I turned into security <laughs> um and would give me a clipboard and a and a headpiece and I'd be off um so we got him out the like the back gate which is literally just out onto Trafalgar Square and I could see this cab across the road that was waiting for us and my uh, colleague Melanie and I just were on either side of Domingo and suddenly people just kept swarming to us because they'd obviously announced on stage that Domingo was there. And so people would leave and go and wait by the stage door area, which is just like some big gate yeah. and, uh, and waited for him. So when we got out, we were mobbed and I was like, oh, plastic. And he's so generous. He was signing, taking <laughs> photographs. And at this point, we're like, uh, we've got like an hour till the show goes up at Covent Garden. Oh so God. we need to get you back. And obviously getting a cab around logistics, a bit yeah. not ideal. So we get him into the cab and Mel and I literally walk around and be like, thank you, thank you. No, excuse me. Excuse me, we're coming to me. Can you step back, please? It was really, I had a whale of a time. Eventually get him into the cab. Were you holding his arm as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> the worst. <Yeah. laughs> okay, great. And um, we got into the cab and his manager got in the front and Plasto sat in the middle and Mel and I were either side. And he said, I can't do the action. Do the action. <laughs> no, I can't. Please. I can't do the action. And he said, um... I didn't realise it was going to be such a big thing. And we said, well, yeah, it's a really nice event for London. He said, well, if I had known, I would have, I would have turned around and, and said, I'm, it's so, uh, such an honour to conduct here in Trafalgar Square with the Royal Opera House and the Royal Opera Chorus, and I'm doing a show this evening. And I would have said, uh, and so I, I am now going to sing this little song for you, this little, uh, <laughs> this little unknown aria. And he just turned around and just started singing. <laughs> Some Enchanted Evening. <laughs> right. Tamel and I. No joke. But in this beautiful... I mean, just the three of us and the four of us in the car. <laughs> Some Enchanted Yeah, and it was so beautiful. I thought, you, money can't buy this. <laughs> and the best bit is then the cab driver. We were driving off and there was this beep, beep, beep. And the cab driver turned around and said, excuse me, mate, will you put your seatbelt on? <laughs> that is so excellent. that was the end of the rendition from Domingo. We had to put the seatbelt on. Yeah. Brilliant story. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Is there anything that you think you wish you'd been told at university about life? 
in the arts? Or maybe could you have been told more about types of jobs? Is there anything you wish you'd known? Yes, in short. Um, there are so many different jobs. And unless you're in the industry, you don't know. Yeah. And the only reason, you know, we might know a few more arts admin or ad, uh, management jobs because we know people who work in different industries and ask yeah. questions. Well, and I was doing it at the time, didn't I? No, but, but I mean now. Yeah, yeah. Because I also think people who work in the arts have probably um, been helped out by someone not in terms yeah. of giving someone a job, but mentoring. Yeah. Or, ha- or knowing people in the industry and having an opportunity to ask people questions. And how flattering if somebody came and asked if you could yeah, mentor and, them. And someone, someone did it to me, you know. Really? My boss at WNO, if he hadn't given me that job... Oh, I thought you meant some, a young person had said, will you be my mentor? Oh, no. That's what I'm hoping. Anyone listening to this? <laughs> <laughs> I would like to email in. <laughs> Naomi Lewis is looking for a mentee. You've put, you put words in my mouth. <laughs> you look really scared now. <laughs> um, no, but it's just... It's, yeah, you've got to help each other out, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Oh, that's a nice... That's a nice, nice ending, thing, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, that's nice. Well, we hope you enjoyed that conversation with Naomi. Each episode, we thought it would be fun to share some stories of the most bizarre and unlikely gigs that people have done. So we thought we'd get the ball rolling with starting with our own weirdest stories. So, Olivia, why don't you kick us off? Mm-hmm. I've had a few, but the one I'm going to share with you today is when I was booked for a lunchtime background event. It was at a members club in Mayfair. And I rocked up and I had an audience of about 10 oh. and we were there for the <laughs> unveiling of the world's most expensive teapot. Wow. <laughs> How expensive is the world's most expensive teapot? I, I need to check and the what amount. about your fee in relation to that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. don't comment you, on that. Did you get the teapot? That would have been nice. <laughs> I think it was something like 1.5 million. <gasps> I think. I, I need to double check That's that. That's like a house. Oh, that's a flat. That's a mansion. That's oh, not in London. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Depends where you are. I, I, I need to check the amount. But it was it was pretty expensive and it was diamond and ruby encrusted. And it was actually very small. Anyway, so Guinness World Records was there. So that fulfilled a childhood dream. Really? I mean, getting to see one of those recorder, yeah, recording in the men. World book. Didn't have a stopwatch oh, right. or anything. We <laughs> just had a <laughs> time. Had so. a certificate and he handed it over. So it was very official. Yeah. Davina, what about you? What's your, any weird gigs? Okay, so I think... Uh, one of my most bizarre gigs, which I'm going to share with you today, um, was last year when I thought I had a day off. Um, I woke up quite leisurely, um, but then it turns out I got a call from the diary service and they asked me to do some work. Um, so the short story is, the day ended with me becoming the face of HSBC. What? <laughs> yeah, quite bizarre. So what happened in between is um, I woke up and I thought, oh, I've got the day to myself. What am I going to do? You know, proper musicians weekend mm-hmm. um, and then the diary service called me up and it was on behalf of the Chinake Orchestra um, and they asked me to do a video shoot um, and I would be replacing the principal cellist who got sick last minute and they said there's no playing you'll just be miming um, can you come to this venue in Angel for 11 o'clock and I was like yeah 
sure. I heard myself say yes, and I thought, oh, dear. <laughs> um, so I thought, no big deal. It was just miming. I'd turn up, um, and there were loads of people I knew doing it. It was, it was going to be loads of fun. So because I was replacing the principal cellist, I thought it was, it was no problem at all because it's not like I was going to be playing. Um, but unbeknownst to me, the principal cellist was featured quite heavily in the commercial storyboard. Um, <laughs> so we were underground, I think, six stories in like an old music theatre or something. It, the whole day was pretty hazy, to be honest. Um, and they got some big panoramic shots of the orchestra. The whole point of, of the ad is um, that HSB says, we work better as a team, and, and, and there's like the orchestra, and it's interspersed with shots of a school of fish moving <laughs> together. Um, but then um, because I was featured quite heavily in the storyboard, um, after the panoramic shots of the orchestra, the rest of the orchestra was dismissed while they shot me solo. <laughs> and I just said, okay, so rest of the orchestra, um, that's lunch. Uh, Davina, if you could just stay behind, we'll just get some shots of you. And they ended up shooting me continuously for an hour and a half. Oh. So then the ad has actually been used in a Netflix documentary. <gasps> wow. So I don't know if any of you have Famous. seen it. I haven't seen it. And I only found out about it when I started getting messages from some of my friends. I have friends all over the world and I got a message from a friend I hadn't seen ages um in new zealand and he just said i just saw your face in a netflix documentary <laughs> what was uh, the documentary and about? the documentary is called dirty money and it's about oh, it's no. about money laundering <laughs> like bad things so and i was like oh yes i did this video shoot for this orchestra oh how funny what's the documentary about and he's like and he said well it seems that hsbc has been involved in um money laundering with drug cartels <laughs> Um, and I just thought, oh no, so this is, this is what my face is used now. And so Imogen, um, tell us about your bizarre gig. Well, I'm a bit worried because I did give the girls a hint about this earlier and I'm worried I won't get through it without <laughs> crying with either embarrassment or laughter. But um, my most bizarre gig ever was actually last year um, I was asked to play solo trumpet along to a silent film event in Southwark. Um, <laughs> and I knew the film I was playing along to because I was actually in this film. Um, it was a piece that was actually written for me and we did a film to go alongside it. Oh, and the so director sad. of this film, um, I got to know him and he said, oh, we, we really want to put this film at the end of our event. It'd be really powerful and moving. It's kind of about um, an asylum seeker. We'll put a link to it somewhere mm -hmm. for yeah. you to watch. Um, but anyway, he just said, oh, yeah, it'd be great if you could be part of this event. And I thought, OK, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's a really nice thing to do. Um, what I didn't know was that actually the rest of the evening was classical music being played along to silent porn films. Oh. <laughs> um, so, so, yes, I was on at midnight. <laughs> And um, oh I was the last thing of the evening. So, yes, it was totally weird. And basically, <laughs> tough act to follow. I, yeah. <laughs> so, and this director, I said, are there even going to be people there? And he said, oh, yes, there'll be a great, really horny audience. That all be <laughs> oh, I would even yeah. thinking, oh, my God, all these porn players are going to be coming and watching my gig. So, <laughs> yeah, all these horn players. Horn <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I dragged my boyfriend along with me for moral support. <laughs> I, I did tell him what it was, what it was for, and then I think he was just—he oh was a bit worried about me going, basically. So <laughs> that's what he said. That, is, that was hilarious. hilarious. So yeah, 
it's like a fine example of what music college does not prepare no. you for. So we all got what music college does prepare you for is getting somewhere early. So we got there very early. Oh, well done. Um, you didn't miss we, anything? No. And basically it stood facing the wall. <laughs> and trying not to watch. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, there was a lot of, um, I think someone was playing Wagner or something. I mean, epic music on this piano, like bashing out some Wagner. <laughs> I can't say that word. <laughs> Oh, 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 <laughs> so, um, so yeah, someone was playing some really epic Wagner, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was totally weird. And um, as you can imagine, at the end, I literally packed myself up and just got out there as soon as I could. And um, I think I got paid about forty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, never again. Oh, that's brilliant. And it was very strange, and you have to laugh, don't you, at these things? <laughs> you gotta laugh for the one. It made a good story anyway. It made a good story. So, yes, there we go. Now it's your turn to let us know your weird and wonderful stories about gigs that you may have done or you've heard about. Um, so, yes, get in touch. Yeah, please um, find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can email us at musiciansweekend at gmail.com or visit our little website at www.musiciansweekend.com. So many thanks to Naomi Lewis for being our special guest, to Chris Rowe for composing our lovely jingle, and finally to you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, then why not subscribe? We'd be really grateful if you could help us spread the word, tell your friends and colleagues about us, and rate this podcast on iTunes to hopefully help us climb the rankings and reach more people. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>